Hey everybody, this is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 88 of the NeuroEdge podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I do have a little bit of a new setup. I've got a new camera and new microphone. So hopefully the audio is a little bit better for you guys. I know I've just been going off my camera audio, so hopefully this is better. I'm bringing to you five topics today. There are gonna be some quick hitters on some topics that I've been thinking about lately. Wanna go over. The first is alchemy. The next is serfdom. The next is, number three is going to be walking and thinking. Number four is going to be habit science. And number five is going to be dopamine sensitivity. So if any of those topics sound interesting to you, stay tuned because it's going to be an awesome episode today. And what I am doing is trying a little bit something new with the podcast before. I would kind of stick to one topic and just talk about that. And the feedback I was getting is it was good, but it was maybe a little long-winded. So what I want to do now is I am an avid reader, avid listener, podcast, avid learner. And there are a bunch of top, topics that I could talk about for hours on end. So what I want to do is just whatever I'm kind of thinking about at the moment, do a little bit of a brief overview of it and what I think about it, how it kind of helps relate to our health and wellness and becoming a better person overall and becoming the best version and highest performing version of ourselves. So although those topics may not sound like they have anything to do with the health and wellness, I'm always gonna tie it back to that, even if it's something that might not sound like a topic that would be on a health, wellness, self-improvement podcast to begin with. So that being said, I'm gonna try it. Hopefully you like it and let me know your thoughts on this, but I think this is what we're gonna do going going forward, at least for the short term, short term for the podcast. And that being said, as always, if you are listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in. Really, my sincerest gratitude go out to you if you are one of the people listening to this right now. I believe it is not by chance that you happen to listen to this, and I feel compelled to make this podcast. Not only it's kind of selfish because I get to learn more myself and get to interview and talk to really cool people as well, but also for you because I can tell in my life things are better when I am putting things out into the world that I know help other people. And whether that's something as small as changing someone's mind on something or introducing them to a topic they've never heard about, or actually helping them get their life into, in, into more order, creating systems in their life and uh, becoming a better version of themselves. So that being said, as always, thank you again for tuning in. And if you want to join the community, what I'm going to start to do is mix in some Q&A with these podcasts. If you want to ask questions for that Q&A, you've got to be on the inside in the Facebook group. So that link will be in the description below or in the, uh, whether it's the YouTube channel or the podcast. So check that out and come see us on the inside. And then you can always ask some questions in there and I will bring them up in the podcast. And that's definitely one of my favorite things to do because some of the best questions I've gotten have come from that group. And it's amazing. the not only the support there, but also the level of discussion and debate is something that, again, I have learned as much as I have hoped to teach people in there. So that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump on into everything. So topic number one is going to be alchemy. So I'm going to share my screen real quick.
Alrighty, so alchemy. What is alchemy? Well, one, I just read this book called The Alchemist, which you've probably heard of. It's one of the most famous books and probably one of the best-selling books of all time. However, that's not something that is, it's called The Alchemist, but it's actually a really, really good book just on self-examination and how to look at yourself, how to look at your life as you doing something that you're actually interested and passionate about doing. It's kind of one of those mythological fable tales. It's not really set in a certain time period or anything like that. It's definitely not present day, but it's about a boy who basically goes on this journey throughout the Mediterranean region and uh, the Middle East and Egypt, that area. And he basically is looking for treasure. And along the way, he finds love, he finds himself. And it really goes to, are you doing things just for the sake of money? Or are you actually doing them because you're passionate about them? And look, I get it. Everybody is going to have to pay their bills. Everybody has got to make money and accumulate resources from themselves to a certain extent. But is that becoming your primary obsession and are you forsaking the things that you know as a person that you're supposed to be doing here while you're on this planet? And that's really what the book is about. It's about finding yourself through learning and also listening to your intuition and not forsaking your principles for who you want to be. And I think that's something that's very important for all of us. But what is alchemy and how does that relate? Again, the alchemist is not super in terms of Alchemy go, goes into the history or anything like that. So alchemy, and I'm just reading here from Wikipedia. Alchemy is an ancient branch of natural philosophy, a philosophical and proto-scientific tradition practiced throughout Europe, Afri Africa, China, and throughout Asia, observable in Chinese texts from around 73 to 49 BC in Greco-Roman Egypt in the first few centuries AD. Uh, alchemists attempted to purify, mature, and perfect certain materials, uh, most commonly and the, I, the whole idea of alchemy and some of the biggest thinkers, philosophers, scientists, and everything throughout history were quote unquote alchemists was basically turning base metals into gold. So they looked for this thing called the philosopher's stone, which was some sort of material that they could use to turn base metals like lead into gold without having to mine gold. So um, again, transmutation of base metals like lead into noble metals, particularly gold, the creation of an elixir of immortality, the creation of pancreas able to cure any disease, and the development of an alkahest, a universal solvent. The perfection of the human body and soul was thought to permit a result from the alchem alchemical magnum opus and in the Hellenistic and Western mystery tradition, the achievement of gnosis, which gnosis just means knowledge. In Europe, the creation of, again, the philosopher's stone was variously connected with all these projects. So alchemy is basically this idea of turning things that are in the world, base metals that are abundant for us to find, and then turning them to, into gold. Now, what do I think about alchemy? And again, this could be something that you do a whole entire podcast on. You could have the all alchemy podcast. But I think of alchemy as this idea throughout history that has kind of transcended something like the idea of turning base metals into gold and it's really making something out of nothing and i think of modern day entrepreneurship and modern day creation as alchemy and especially if you're someone that is a creator alchemy is the idea of taking nothing or something that is around you and actually converting it into something that is treasured cherished and in the historical case of gold which is treasured cherished and used as currency but alchemy is taking things around you and basically 
kind of like infusing your creativity and spirit into it so that it becomes something that is cherished and worthy to be talked about and venerated over time. So that's how I see alchemy is this kind of this idea. Um, actually, let me get this book. I just read uh, a little while ago. If you're interested in this topic, um, there's this book is called, see if I put it up, Secret History of the World by Mark Booth. I think that's his pen name. Uh, but anyway, it's a really good book on uh, kind of an alternative history on the world and what world the world history looked like through the lens of a lot of people that were quote-unquote alchemists and just kind of alternative thinkers throughout time. So that's a really uh, cool book to read and incorporates a lot of these principles and concepts. But it's interesting because this is something that is part and essence of human existence, this idea of taking something and taking nothing and turning into something that's cherished that humans view as something that is has value over time. And I think of alchemy as in today's world, what are you doing in your life that is taking what's around you and creating, infusing, it, inspiring, and just creating something around you that is powerful and will stand the test of time. It can be something that you hand down to your progeny and future generations, whether that's your own or just people in your family and community long-term. So that is my thoughts on alchemy. Number two, and this is a book that I'm reading right now. It's really interesting and I'm always kind of a student of economics, my background, my college degrees in finance, and I do love studying economics and particularly how they relate with political themes and everything. And I'm reading a book right now, I've probably heard of it, it's called The Road to Serfdom. It's by Friedrich Hayek, and he was a uh, Austrian-British economist and philosopher um, that wrote the book. What year did he write it? Uh, it was published in 1944. Uh, but I just started reading this, and uh, really good book. And of course, uh, my philosophical leanings agree with a lot of it. But it's basically this idea that the more state power you have, the less freedom you're going to have. So. It's kind of this idea that I'll read here. The, uh, the Abuse and Decline of Reason, the title was inspired by the writings of 19th century French classical thinker Alexis de Tocqueville on the road to servitude. In this book, Hayek warns of the dangers of tyranny that inevitably results from government control of economic decision-making through central planning. He argues that, abundant, that the abundance of individualism and classical liberalism inevitably leads to a loss of freedom, the creation of an oppressive society, the tyranny of a dictator, excuse me, the abandonment of individualism, not the abundance of um, individualism and classic liberalism, lead to a loss of freedom, the creation of an oppressive society, the tyranny of a dictator, and the serfdom of the individual. So what I want you to do is think about that for a second. And again, not to get super political here, but in the structure of how you operate and how you exist as a person, are you someone that favors individualism and classic liberalism, or are you someone that favors central planning? And what's really interesting here is he kind of paints this portion of the idea that once the government gets a little bit of power, most of the time, and almost certainly most of the time, without barring a revolution, that power never gets walked back. And it's important to understand that because what's happening 
right now, and this has happened since he published this book 70 to 80 years ago, is that we've had a molding of, I think, our acceptance of how we see the world into something that is much less of an individualistic framework versus a collective framework. And the more that we go to a collective framework, the more we're going to kill creativity, entrepreneurship, creation of things. And I'm much more on the side of creating in the world and bringing new ideas in the world and not being restricted and not being told how to do things or what you can and can't do. So I really hope that the world is moving towards more of an open source world. Now, how does that, what does this mean to you? Well, think about yourself as a person. Are you actually a serf and just don't realize it? And a serf is someone that is basically in medieval times, they were just a peasant that worked the land and they worked for a noble, whoever controlled that land. And basically they were a slave, kind of synonymous with slavery. So not to say that we are slaves in the sense there are, people in history that have had it way worse than we do today. But do you have individualistic free will and sovereignty over your own life? And again, that's something I talk about all the time is this idea of sovereignty. But is that something that you are demonstrating your life and living out? I think that's really important as a human. I feel like you're going to be living your full potential when you are demonstrating your highest and best form of creativity and really in flow with your work and i don't think you can do that as a serve the reason i say that is because we're indoctrinated in public schools most of us from the time we uh, can even remember when we're five years old all the way up until we're adults and so that kind of changes our worldview of how we see the world and it's really important to take a step back and understand how that system was set up who it was set up for to benefit to create us to be more of factory type workers rather than individual people that have our own free will that can do what we want and carry on commerce how we want. So I recommend checking this book out. It's really good. Obviously, it's a little bit more technical in the sense of how it's written, but I'm listening to the audiobook right now, which if you have an audible description is actually free. They're doing this thing where they have a bunch of free books included in your description. So again, check that out. Uh, really interesting book. And especially uh, someone that I look to in a lot of my philosophical leanings is Anne Rand. And you can tell this is very similar to a lot of her work in terms of how the individual should relate and should be able to carry on their life from first principles. Now, to get to something that's a little bit more related to health and wellness, walking and thinking. So this was on Mark Sisson's blog. Obviously, this guy, Mark Sisson's the founder of Primal Kitchen which is one of the coolest uh, health foods companies I like out there, their supplements are the bomb. But um, he had this article that he just talks about why these nine famous walk thinkers walk so much. And one thing that I notice, especially when I have a little bit more time and I'm not so busy with work, is I love to walk and walk, particularly while I'm thinking. It's not really walking with headphones in or listening to music, but just walking and thinking. As I do some of my best thinking and most creative thinking and some of the best ideas and insights I get into my own life are done while I'm walking. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that. Obviously walking is beneficial for your health, but can also be beneficial for your mood and also how creativity, how creativity manifests in your life and everything. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. So he says many of the most accomplished and creative people throughout history have also found walking to be an integral part of their daily routines and key to their success as artists, creators, writers, musicians, thinkers, and human beings. 
I definitely want to share in that. So let's look at some of these people and really powerful people here. So first one is Aristotle. Aristotle, the famous Greek philosopher, empiricist, and pupil to Plato, conducted his lectures while walking the grounds of his school in Athens. His followers, who quite literally followed him as he walked, were even known as peripatetics, Greek meaning meandering or walking about. And uh, again, one of the greatest minds, at least as we think of in Western civilization, who we take a lot of our philosophical ideas and concepts from, was an avid walker. Number two, uh, William Wordsworth, the poet with the most fitting surname ever. Uh, that's definitely true. Uh, he walked nearly 175,000 miles throughout his life while maintaining a, um, maintaining a prolific writing career. He managed these two seemingly op opposing habits for two reasons. First, being shorter, but not necessarily easier than novels. Poems take less actual writing and time to produce. Second, Wordsworth walking was writing in a way as he saw the act of walking was indivisible from the act of writing poetry. So powerful. Number three, Charles Dickens, author, social commentator, and yes, he was a walker too. He would write from nine and two, nine in the morning to two in the afternoon, and then he would go for a long walk. A 20 or 30 miler was routine for him. And when he couldn't sleep at night, which was often, he crawl London streets until dawn. So he actually walked so much that his friends worry, figuring he had mania. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny that uh, they thought he was almost crazy. Um, but again, one of the most prolific writers of all time and something we can all take a lesson from. Um, Henry David Thoreau, obviously great, one of the great uh, transcendentalist 19th century writers. He was a famous saunterer and athlete. Title of essay, Walking, he comments on the etymology of the word saunter, nothing, noting that it comes from the idle people who roved about the country under the pretense of going a la Saint-Tierre or the Holy Land. Um, and his Holy Land was kind of all around him. Of course, he was big on nature. John Muir, he was a naturalist who helped preserve Yosemite, Sequoia National Park, and other wild areas from development, development, private interest. Um, he was a big walker, and uh, he actually had an entire forest named after him. Um, and he also used it to access the subject of writing, which was one of his passions. Uh, Nassim Taleb, who actually, this is kind of funny, I talked about him in the last episode. Um, he wrote the book, Anti-Fragile. Um, he's a contemporary writer. Um, he also uh, is a guy that's big on Twitter. He's been writing about anti-fragility for many years and about how successful systems and economies businesses must experience to be able to adequately respond to uh, chronic stresses and randomness. Um, he does a lot of strength training and uh, lots and lots of aimless meandering as a foundation to his work. So again, you see some of the smartest people, big time walkers. Um, Patrick Lee Fermor, F-E-R-M-O-R, um, described him, uh, described, uh, there was a piece in the New Yorker that described him as a cross between Indiana Jones, Graham Greene, and James Bond. He was a British special operations officer, fought the Cretan resistance during World War II, going undercover as a mountain shepherd and leading the successful capture of German Commander General Henry Crape. Um, he was a serious walker at the age of 18 for dropping out of school and drifting aimlessly around London. He walked from Western Holland clear to Istanbul over the course of a year and change. Um, and also said it um, kind of informed his writing throughout his later life. And the last two, one sword Kierkegaard, who was a famous philosopher, 
Um, he said that the success of his thinking depended almost entirely on his walking. And last but not least, Beethoven um, was a notorious walker. And he typically worked from sunup through mid-afternoon, taking several breaks to run out to the open and work while walking. And then after a large day, midday meal, he would take a longer, more vigorous, vigorous promenade lasting the rest of the after, afternoon, um, regardless of weather as well. So I think that's another thing too. Don't worry so much about the weather when you're walking. But anyway, that just to say, improve to you as an example that walking is really important. And a lot of us can get tied up to doing something sedentary in our jobs, but I think it's important to always stay moving, always stay walking. Uh, so dopamine sensitivity. Next one, dopamine sensitivity. So why is this important? Dopamine sensitivity is one of the biggest things that I think is a problem facing our world today. And it's because we have all these different things that hit our dopamine receptors. Basically, I'm just gonna go into a little bit about this article I found. So um, to boil it down, obviously it's much more complex than this, but we have a lot of different dopamine spiking activities that we do today. Gambling, porn, junk food, video games, you name it. These are all things that lead to the desensitization and downregulation of um, dopamine receptors, especially those that keep dopamine levels elevated persistently, uh, such as cocaine and drug use. Uh, continuing on that example, this is why the case of regular drug use and even the use of caffeine, increasingly higher doses are needed to achieve the same effect. So receptors become sensitized to the stimulus and you build up a tolerance Furthermore, we know that low dopamine levels are associated with these addictive behaviors, essentially chasing the dopamine high. So think about all the things that you do in your life, not only your work, but in your free time and your fun time, what you do in your personal life. Is it something that is one of these dopamine spiking activities? And I don't really think you need to get too far out in the weeds to say yes or no. Are you doing stuff that is more grounding you in nature and keeping you well-rounded and whole, or are you constantly looking for dopamine hits outside of your working life? And even with your working life, I know for me, sometimes I have a swarm of notifications that are always coming through to my inbox and your body gets addicted to that dopamine. And the reason I talk about this, because I think it's just something that you have to be conscious of and you have to understand how the modern world is affecting our dopamine receptors and be conscious with it. Um, there are some instances where people are born with fewer dopamine two, uh, D2 receptors. Um, but again, most of this is from the environment that we live in. So what do we do about it? Well, you have to get away. You have to get outside of those things. And the biggest thing I would say, and just urge you to be conscious of, is that you need to understand how these things are actually affecting your neurology and how your brain actually works. And for some, for a large part of my life, I was something that played video games avidly. I loved video games. I played them a lot. And the reason I realized that I was so addicted to them is because of the dopamine spike. And when you get off of that, you actually are able to get into the real world and understand how the real world works. And your body's circuitry and mechanisms are much more tied into the real world. When you are constantly desensitizing your brain to dopamine, you're just gonna to have to get more and more hits to feel the same baseline. So it's no different than drug use. And again, drug use would be the extreme example, but there's a lot of different things out there in the world today that can cause dopamine desensitivity. So that being said, just examine your life and see is, are the activities that you're doing 
causing this. And again, you could go really deep on this, but just wanted to throw that out there on today's episode. Last but not least, I just wanted to do a real quick thing of how habits work. So this is from Charles Duhigg, who wrote the book, The Power of Habit, one of the biggest books on uh, habit. Basically, he has a framework for developing habits or reshaping your habits. And the framework is identify the routine, experiment with rewards, isolate the cue, and have a plan. And so how do we identify the routine? Well, there's a, re- a cue, a routine, and a reward. So think about habits, good or bad, how this actually plays in your life. So what would a bad habit be? Maybe it's eating uh, ice cream after dinner. Cue, after dinner. Routine, get ice cream, reward. You get the dopamine and all the mouth pleasure that you would get from eating ice cream. No different than anything else. Cue, routine, reward. So how do we do this? Well, we have to identify that first. What are the cue, the routine, and the reward? And then step two, experiment with rewards. So rewards are powerful because they satisfy cravings, but we're often not conscious of the cravings that drive our behaviors. So how do we see this? How do we look at it? Experiment with rewards that cause good habits for you. So try to create rewards for yourself when you do something good, when you do something positive at work, when you go to the gym, when you work out, when you journal. Experiment with rewards that cause your brain to get a reward for doing that positive thing. Moving on, number three, isolate the cue. Um, about a decade ago, a, a psychologist at the University of Western Ontario tried to answer a question that's bewildered social sciences for years. Why do some eyewitnesses of crimes remember what they see while others recall events accurately? Misremember what they see, excuse me. Um, so why do we do this? It all kind of boils down to the fact of how we're perceiving the world around us. So again, you can check this out, but it goes back to the cue routine reward. When we're creating the environment around us for the cue routine reward, we're gonna create habits, bad or good. And finally, have a plan. Obviously this comes to writing out what you're doing with the day, writing out your schedule, writing out your workout plan, writing out your diet. These are all things that if you write them out just by the nature of you writing them out, you are going to recognize them more and then become conscious of it. So this all goes back to setting up systems for your life. I think creating good habits is about setting up systems and using those systems to improve our life in the areas that we want to. So that being said, hopefully these were some helpful topics to you today. I know they're a little bit different, but I want to all tie them back to how can we use these things in our life to get better? How can we examine our own life and make little changes throughout the day? that are going to help us and help us become a healthier version of ourselves. So interesting to hear your feedback on this. Let me know if there are any other topics you'd want to talk about in the future, and I will talk to you guys soon. Peace.